This show is brought to you by my friends at Alliance and Trust. In wild times like these, you need more than financial product salespeople. You need a firm that looks at the entirety of your life and helps you with strategies that coordinate all disciplines of good stewardship so you can manage wisely what God has given you and thrive in these times of chaos and confusion. Have a team that acts as consultants in the business of you. Call 805-372-0821 to schedule your no-obligation discovery meeting. Welcome to the Bryce Eddy Show, where we are working hard to be a threat to the Great Reset. And we are also putting the man back in mankind because both men and women need that. My um, guest today is author Kimberly Ells, and she wrote a book called The Invis- Invisible Invincible Family. And um, with this, uh, I'm excited to talk to her because this subject, as um, you in the audience knows, is very important to us here on the show, and that's family. And the attacks on family are uh, ruthless and they're intentional. And so I wanted to invite her on to talk about her new book, The Invincible Family. Um, The subtitle is Why the Global Campaign to Crush Motherhood and Fatherhood Can't Win. It can't win, so we need to be fighting and we need to be engaged and need to read her book. Kimberly Ells, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Yeah, no, I'm, uh, I'm truly uh, excited to talk about this subject. Um, last night, I was watching a documentary on the Bolsheviks, and it was one of those fun little mini docs that popped up in my YouTube feed. And... Um, One of the uh, kind of reoccurring themes, and I know you talk about it in this book, is there is this idea that we can create the perfect utopia and we can create something that for a, um, you know, imperfect people, if we just plunk people into it, it's all going to work out. And Mm -hmm. a lot of that naivety that is driving or animating the left, many of them, I think, are well-meaning people. Now, a lot of them are not. Some of them are truly evil and they are, you know, after uh, us to destroy all that is good. And they are, uh, you know, anti-Christ and evil. But some of these folks just imagine if we were to just create the right circumstances, everybody would get along beautifully and we wouldn't have these problems. And you saw that with the Bolsheviks. You saw that with, uh, you know, so many um, iterations of that in our past. And yet now uh, the folks are trying to do all of this stuff over again. And, you know, the thing that stands in their way is the most powerful government force on the planet, and that is the family. Uh, because that is the smallest form of government that we have, and that is the best decentralization that we have, and that's what protects us and prevents them from taking over. So um, intrigued by your book, uh, tell me a little bit about your background. I know you're a writer and columnist, and uh, you know you do a lot of things, but talk a little bit about who you are, and then let's get into the book. Thank you. Well, I'm mostly a mom. I have five kids. And about 10 years ago, I wasn't involved publicly much at all. I had done some writing and things, but uh, um, it was at that point that I came to kind of a crossroads that invited me into the public arena, into the public square. And so kind of what happened is I found, just in the course of some other research online, I found um, a document that was very disturbing to me as a mom. And uh, well, I guess I'll just tell you what it is. So it was a it was a document published by International Planned Parenthood Federation outlining the sexual rights of children. And uh, I didn't like that too much. In fact, it was uh, quite horrific to me. And so uh, maybe we'll get more into that in a minute. But that uh, I decided I'm, fi- I'm going to fight that. That's not going to exist in the world without me fighting, finding a way to fight it. And so that kind of brought me on board. And then from there, um, by the grace of God, I think I was connected with some other people who were aware of the children's sexual rights campaign and had been fighting it at the global level. And so I, I joined that organization and uh, that got me involved at the United Nations, actually, where then I could see for myself the global agenda against the family. And my eyes were just opened. I had no idea you know, how deep and how high this agenda ran. So there was there's that element. Um, 
to 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 bring me into the you know into this arena into the fight I guess, and uh, but I had no intention of writing a book at that point. But the more I saw, the more I learned, the more I wrote, I I thought I've got I have got to get the message out so that parents can first of all see what we're up against, and then so that we can see how to fight it and how we can. And so there's that element that um, perhaps we'll get into that a little bit more. And then um, there's another element to the book, and that's the power of parents, especially mothers. And uh, I realized that uh, mothers are the most powerful force on the planet and that that story is almost never told. And women almost never hear that message. And so I wanted to explain what I meant by that and help women particularly see the power that they have as mothers um, so that they don't give it away for nothing. You know, we, we hold a powerful position and we need to hold fast to it. So those are kind of the two things that brought me to the table. That's great. Well, in that first thing, you know, the plan, you know, Planned Parenthood is an organization. Obviously, it's it's evil. They have evil aims, but they are behind some of the most destructive things that are going on now. And, you know, we mm-hmm. have brought uh, guests on the show have talked about what they're doing in high schools to actually try to put chapters of Planned Parenthood clinics, mm-hmm. you know, in these high schools. They are behind a lot of the drugging of our children with puberty blockers and all of that. They, that's kind of been their new battleground. Um, it, you know, so that that organization, what, what I find interesting about all of these organizations is they tell us quite plainly, if you just mm-hmm. read their materials, what their aims mm-hmm. are. And their aims are, you know, antithetical to, you know, everything that a good, moral, decent, normal person, and I do use that word specifically, normal person, should be, um, you know, supporting and aiming for. They are against all of it, and and it's mm-hmm. uh, and it's quite wild that people have kept their head in the sand for so long, and are allowing you know these these narratives and these things to to go unchecked. And I think people are starting to wake up, and and you know people like you and your book and all that stuff. I, I think are the reason why. Um, on your second point, um, you know motherhood has been diminished intentionally. And so many miserable women are out there having been lied to for many years about their career being the most important thing. And, and even in, in um, you know, your language at the very beginning, you, you know, uh, we're, we're so conditioned to diminish the role of mother a little bit like, well, I'm just mostly a mom. That is everything, you know, and um, I don't I don't mean I'm just a mom. I always lead with that. I'm a mom because I don't yeah. want any of my other credentials to, to drown that out. <laughs> yeah, well, no, and I'm, I'm, I'm happy to to hear that. But I, I remember my wife when when she and I were first married and she was uh, made a intentional choice. She was a, a very, you know, high-level um, singer. Had multiple scholarships to go abroad, go to uh, to New York and study all this. And she looked at what that lifestyle was going to be, and and decided that that was not what she wanted to do. But every dinner that we went to for you know my business and you know other things that I would do. Uh, other women would ask her, what do you do? And she was a little sheepish with like, well, I'm just a mom. I don't really do anything Mm -hmm. kind of thing. And I Mm -hmm. said, no, you know, you need to wear that proudly and you need to tell them that that is your profession because it is. And that profession is more rewarding than anything they'll ever be doing. And, Mm -hmm. uh, and a lot of, I think women don't realize that. So I'm, I'm glad you're pressing into that. For the Alliance and Trust family, finances in their blood. I grew up with them and they've handled my entire financial world for nearly 30 years. And as a testament to their talents, they've managed to keep me not just out of trouble, which in and of itself is remarkable, but they've helped me build real wealth. They've assisted me through complex business transactions and family matters. Now, even my daughters are working with Uncle Randy to put financial disciplines in place for their futures. Invest with people who share our values and will help you to be a good steward with what God has given you. Let Alliance in Trust help you to plan for what's next. Visit aewealth.com or call 805-371-8020 to learn more. Yeah, absolutely. And that's actually one of the core tenets of of my book is that so for so long, women have been told that motherhood is a position of oppression, right? And lack of freedom and, uh, you know, this oppressive situation. And, And I'm not saying that there's not a lot of hard work involved in mothering. However, if you look at what 
what great thinkers through the ages have said about where where power comes from, it becomes clear who has the power. For instance, you know, Aristotle said, the fate of nations depends upon the education of youth. Lenin said, give me four years to teach the children and the seed I have sown will never be uprooted. Yep. They're talking about the early years, the earliest years of children's lives. And, and they realize that if the person who influences the child when they're very young has the greatest influence over them throughout their lives normally. And so what, is, what does that mean for mothers? If you'll notice, when every new person is born on earth, who do they come to? A mother, hopefully in tandem with a father. That's how it's gonna work out best. Amen. But they always, without fail, come to a mother. So to me, that says God trusts mothers. They want the ch God wants the child to be delivered somewhere and that place is to a mother. And then she can, she can do with that what she wants, but the amazing thing is, when a woman is put in that profound, profound position of power, most women, not all, but most women do it well. Most of them, instead of ruling over their children in some tyrannical way, most women love their children and would actually die for their kids and lay down huge sacrifices in their life for their children. And so, and why would they do that? Because they love them and they they know best, in most cases, what is going to be best for their children. And then in any good man who, you know, impregnates a woman is going to be there to support his wife in that work and to support his children. And, and they can work that out however they want to. Each, each couple can work out how they're gonna support their children. But the point that you were saying before, you know, children, or excuse me, women have been convinced that their careers are more important. Parenthood is the most important career for anyone, man or Amen. woman. Like my husband goes to work, why? It's not because he totally loves his job, although in some ways it's fulfilling. It's because he wants to feed our kids. Right. And and that's what decent men do. And I think most men are decent men. And so when so that when the man and woman join in marriage, they their purpose is not just to love each other, hopefully they do, but their purpose is to put push forward humanity in positive ways through the parenting of their children. And so I mentioned before that, but that children come specifically to mothers, and that's really vital. I, I spend a couple of chapters on this in the book explaining how that's the thing that I believe privatizes the whole world. Because if when a baby is born, the mother tends to think that the baby belongs to her, right? And most people agree. Most people are not going to argue that that baby is hers. It belongs to her. No one else can just take it. There's an inherent belonging to a mother that, and the, chi that the child has belonging to its own mother. And that has been respected and should be, continue to be respected. And so that makes the family, that is in fact what makes the family a private institution, which then sets it up some, to some degree in opposition to the state. So it's family, as you said at the beginning, the family is the first form of government. And why is that? It's because babies belong to their mothers and mothers privately claim them. The state has has no stronger claim on the child than a mother does. And so that's why, as you were pointing out, you know, it's been said that between the totalitarian, totalitarian state and the individual lies the family. Mm -hmm. And that is one of the main purposes of the family is to have a guard of privatization that infects our that affects our entire society. And we kind of take it for granted, right? We're like, well, of course a baby's just born to a mother and that's just how life works. The reason that's why that's the way life works is I believe God made it that way because it's the way that it works best. It doesn't work flawlessly all the time, but we live in families. We inherently exist in families because that is the thing that works the best. If something else worked better, God would have done it that way. But he didn't. He did it this way. And so, you know, that's that's a powerful thing. And if women realize, oh, I've been inherently put in a position of great power, then that's I just think that's so enlivening. And so, uh, you know, it just changes the perspective of, of a woman when she's told that. And it's true. I think we all see it. It's true. Yeah, no, I think you're exactly right. And the um, 
the dangerous ground that we started on, you know, many years ago through no fault divorce and some of the other things that were going mm-hmm. on in, in our culture, um, you know, diminishing that uh, for sure. Um, but what they were doing was making the, um, the state be um, extremely important as a third party in our marriages and our relationships. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're battling with these school districts. Um, we're battling with the state in, uh, you know, most of the real blue states, um, but it's happening all over the country. But there is this movement where the state believes that they own the kids. And mm-hmm. uh, um, and if you listen to them, I mean, this isn't something that I'm making up. They're saying this. Uh, they confer the privilege of parenting to the parents, but they're ultimately responsible. And uh, you have a lot of these incredibly arrogant um, teachers, incredibly arrogant uh, school administrators and things like that that are spouting that message. Um, you know, you're watching it in the school boards. You're watching it where they do believe that that, um, you know, it's a privilege that they've given you and they're ready to take it away if they can. Mm-hmm. And um, and that's why we're having the proliferation of the. Um, you know, gender affirming care models and, you know, things like that. Um, again, it's, it's uh, expressly because they've, they've taken a lot of that power and we have to take it back. That's right. And we have the power to take it back. You mentioned, you know, the, publicly they're getting more and more bold about saying that, well, your kids actually belong to us and we actually get to decide what they learn. The governorship of, you know, Virginia, I think was won and lost on that issue yeah. because parents, parents are not okay with that. Because we are in the position to teach what is right and wrong to our children. That is what we get to do as parents. And so I think as you're right, as it becomes more blatant, um, parents are, are waking up and taking their power back. This whole idea, though, as I outline in the book, goes back to you know early Marxism. Karl Marx and his right-hand man, Frederick Engels, who I highlight in the book, they clearly say that what they want is that the care this is Engels' words, the care and education of children should become a public affair. So the care and education of children should become a public affair. And he said that way, it's great because then we quote, free women from caring for children. They always couch it in these terms of freeing women, which makes it sound so fantastic. But what it really does is, is it frees the child from the influence of its parents? Mm -hmm. Because who wants it? the state. So they convince the woman and the father that, oh, there's better things to do so that they can have that position, which is what they're really after. So it's very sneaky. It's always cloaked in women's rights usually, and which, you know, women's rights is a, is a valid movement on some level, but it's been so corrupted, you know. But this, but this whole idea is very socialist that, okay, what we need to do, and this is what Engel said, get all the women into the workforce at every stage of their lives, get the kids in public care and education, and that that will bring about this great utopia and society will be wildly successful and we'll all be rich and happy. Well, that's never worked and it's not ever going to work. And there's an, there an interesting feminist that I, I discovered and I quote in the book, and she was actually quite brilliant and she, she was a raging socialist, but she did have an important insight. She said, that the reason why socialism has failed in virtually every experiment so far is because we have not been able to sever the special relationship between mothers and their babies. And mm. I was like, that's that's what I say. But she was right. She's right. That is why. And so her solution was, though, that then we need to do all we can to cut and break the special connection between mothers and children, because that way, then socialism can move forward. Life can be oriented uh, publicly regulated instead of privately regulated, which is what the family does. That's what the family accomplishes. So this is a very deeply socialist idea. In fact, you cannot have uh, really an ultimately socialist society if you have families where belonging to your family is your most important priority. That that ruins the, the system that they're trying to build, which is why they have to break, continue to break the family. And as you've said, they've been at it for decades. And uh, you know what though they're they're never going to succeed they've had a lot of they've had a lot of successes but it's almost impossible to break the bond between mother and baby almost and so because of that and again i think that's by design the family uh, you know i believe will will triumph and uh, in the end it's the thing that lasts when everything else falls apart is the family 
buy gold and get a free safe to store it in. That's right, on qualifying purchases from Birch Gold Group now through March 31st, they'll ship a free safe directly to your door. Just text Bryce to 989898 and get your free info kit on gold and to claim eligibility for your free safe. Here's the deal. The feds keep raising rates because it's the only tool they have to keep inflation under control. And it's not working. You can't spend your way out of inflation. You've seen the impact on the stock market. You've seen the impact on your savings. Hedge inflation by owning gold, whether physical gold and silver in your safe or through an IRA in precious metals where you can hold real gold and silver in a tax-sheltered retirement account. Buy gold from Birch Gold to protect your family. You can trust them. They have an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau and thousands of satisfied customers. Text Bryce to 989898 for your free info kit on gold and claim your eligibility for your free home safe by March 31st on qualifying purchases. Again, text Bryce to 989898. Yeah, um, and I and I think that's why um, you listen to some of their um, thinkers that are you know projecting into the future. They would like to see us grown in test tubes. They would like to see mm-hmm. um, the ability to essentially manufacture human beings. And I think that that's some yep. of those reasons is because yeah, you you um, are going to only be able to control. Uh, independent people by creating those dependencies and creating that, um, you know, making the state the mother and all of that sort of stuff is, is, you know, again, it's, you know, we, it's science fiction, um, but it's, uh, it's moving down that path in terms of their actual capabilities and, 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 um, and they're, um, they're interested in it. Almost every, um, well, Everyone I can think of, of the uh, tyrannical regimes throughout history had huge emphasis on taking, you know, kids from their families early and doing big indoctrination, Um, you know, Mao, uh, all of these, Mm -hmm. that was their thing is the earlier they can do that, the more successful they're going to be in creating these, you know, automatons that are going to go uh, along with the the party line, whatever it may be. And, and mm-hmm. you, you know, and I know you've referenced some of that uh, here in the book as well. Yes, absolutely. Because there's, if you, if you think about it, the fable goes that the children come from pab- cabbage patches. Well, what if they really did? What if baby just popped up from somewhere? Well, then the state could commandeer them. They could take responsibility for them. Anyone could claim them because they don't inherently belong to anyone. And so, and that's why I'm saying that the the possessorship of the woman is so vital because it it prevents that from happening. But since that's the case, they're trying to get around women's anatomy in such a way that just as you say, either um, as Shalama Firestone, this feminist I reference in the book, she, she outright said that we needed to come up with means of artificial reproduction so that the, the babies wouldn't belong to their mothers. In fact, she said, she said, if a woman undergoes a nine month pregnancy, she's going to feel like that baby belongs to her. We want to destroy this possessiveness. That's what she said yeah. outright. And so, and the, the the intention is clear, so that they can, as early as possible, get to the minds of little children and and teach them collectivism, to teach them, you know, all of these Marxist ideas of of collectivist living, which which again have have never worked. So it's very insidious. Um, and uh, our current administration is hard at work in this agenda. You know, talk to me for a moment, and maybe you cover it in the, in the book. But um, you know, there is this uh, movement that I think is is wicked to uh, using surrogates, and you're seeing that mm-hmm. with a lot of gay couples. Um, you know, many high profile recently. Um, you know, mm-hmm. both on the right and the left. Um, and I can think of several that have, uh, you know, very publicly gone through the process of, you know, hiring out a womb, renting mm-hmm. a womb, and and then separating that that uh, baby, um, you know, immediately from their mom. Uh, in order, I think, many cases, mm-hmm. it's vanity, um, and it's an accessory for some of these families. And and I'm I'm very concerned about that trend. Um, Number one, because it's um, it's really reserved for the most affluent of um, Mm -hmm. of, you know, gay couples to do this. Um, And and even uh, I think there is a wickedness to it within our um, 
you know, heterosexual communities as well doing this for whatever reason, including infertility. Now, my I have incredible compassion for folks that cannot have children, but I think going about it this way rather than adopting kids and using some of the other avenues available, um, I, I think is wrong. Um, do you have any mm-hmm. thoughts on that or, um, you know, any opinion there? Do you cover any of that in the book? I do. I spend a chapter on that very topic in the book. And so that's that's a really key issue. Um, my colleague, Katie Faust, wrote a fabulous book entirely on this issue, which you should check out. But um, I cover it in the book in this sense. So same-sex marriage, one of the reasons why that's problematic isn't because maybe those people you know, maybe those people love each other. But the problem with it, one of the problems with it is that if you um, kind of officially validate marriage between two, say, male people, um, then neither of them can bear a child. And so then if, if along with marriage comes a right to parenthood, which is the claim that is been claimed publicly in many instances that if you're married, then you have a right to children, then what does that do to the belonging of children to their parents and parents to their children? That means that two men who get married, somehow they have a right to a child who is not theirs. And so it it, it monetizes childbearing, which we have tried very hard to eliminate in our society. Even through adoption, there is money that changes hands, but it, it normally does not go to the mother who's placing her child for adoption. There might be covering of some of her medical fees, but we don't allow children to just simply be purchased, except in the case of third-party reproduction, including surrogacy and sperm donation, egg donation. And so this is, again, uh, it used to be science fiction, but we're here now. Mm-hmm. And if if we really honor the biological belonging of babies to their mothers and mothers to their children, then that's those are very problematic practices. Because even if, even if say there's a couple and they donate their egg and sperm to a surrogate and she births it and gives it back, does that not matter to the baby? I mean, at least it's still biologically theirs. But it was, it was created in the womb of another woman, and that is the womb, that is the space that that child has known for for nine months of existence. Does that not matter? We're finding now now out now that it it probably does. Yeah, and to the child, not to mention the risks to the woman, and not to mention the way that that very practice makes us question the belonging of parents to their children. So there's there's more we could say about that, but there there is a whole chapter in the book, and it it's very problematic because it works in a way they. It's often put forward in a way that we're building families, and and in some sense that could be said to be true, but we're also striking at the very foundations of what it means to be a family, and and does the belonging of children to their parents matter? Should parents, biological parents, have inherent rights? That's a question that's coming up more and more now through because of these practices. Yeah, and you know, there's all sorts of. Um you know, imperfect circumstances. There's all sorts of things, you know, again, I mentioned adoption earlier. Um, you know, mm-hmm. there, there are, uh, you know, children who are abandoned. There's, you know, great destruction in the sinful world that we exist in. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, we need to be uh, emphasizing the ideal. We need to be emphasizing right. God's um, plan for us. And, you know, he does want us to be fruitful and multiply. He wants us to get married he wants it to be between a man and a woman. He wants us to, uh, you know, treat all of that as very sacred. And I mm-hmm. think what we've been doing is attacking it and dismantling it for for many years. And you're seeing mm-hmm. those repercussions throughout society now. And my heart goes right. out to, um, you know, I have friends who are gay married couples, and they know mm-hmm. I dis I disagree with uh, their positions. Um, and, uh, and yet we can still be friends and I think we can still get along in society. I can still show them love. Um, but I don't think that people understand the wide reaching repercussions of those sorts of things, um, that it's, that's happening in our society as a result of, of, you know, devaluing the ideal that God gave us and the direction Mm -hmm. and the commandments that God's given us. Right. And I just want to make note that in a just and merciful society, no matter the way a child is produced 
we strive to take care of that Amen. child, Amen. you know, um, and and so that should never be in, in question. But we don't purpose. We should not purposely create children for the purpose of placing them with someone other than their biological parents. If their biological parents are not available for any for some reason, then of course we're going to care for them. That's what a just loving society does. But we should not be seeking to create, you know, motherless and fatherless children. Yeah, one hundred percent. And and again, there's something, and and these are ideas that uh, you know I'm thinking through and exploring and you know examining carefully. Um, and and that's why we have the dialogues we have with people. And I mm-hmm. and I hope to um, you know I've got a number of folks that that are on the exact opposite side of this than I am who. I would love to have on the show and, you know, and have a mm-hmm. real fruitful discussion about it um, instead of some of the, you know, tr- tribal um, reactions that we get mm-hmm. in our, you know, hyper divided society now. Um, but but we uh, we need to be able to talk about this stuff and we need to be able to, you know, stand firm, um, you know, on these principles. And we need to be able to declare what we, what we believe to be the truth, um, you know, without the political, you know, narrative and discussions, you know, uh, going crazy uh, as they have been in, you know, the last five or six years, especially. Absolutely. Absolutely. We've got to be able to talk uh, calmly about these issues. And I, I just a note about the book. I, I, when I'm speaking to you now, I'm using you know religious some religious you know uh, notions and ideas. The book is. I purposely wrote it from a non-religious perspective because mm-hmm. I think we need to come to the table able to speak from many different uh, points of view and not only come with religious. Uh, arguments. So I, although I am personally religious, the book is not overtly religious. Yeah, no. And I, and I appreciate that. I mean, one of the things that I, um, uh, think is that, um, so nature, you know, supports these ideas, you know, if you were to, Mm -hmm. um, you know, again, uh, there's, you know, worshiping the, uh, creator or the creation. And there's a lot of folks Mm -hmm. that, you know, focus on the creation and, and that's Mm -hmm. their worldview. And there is a real, um, I think religious movement right now of that. Um, but we can see how all of these ideas, again, God is the God uh, of nature and the author of all of these principles, but they can be supported mm-hmm. in the natural world very, very clearly and very, very yes. objectively. So that's why you're able to um, you know, lay out these arguments without them being um, you know, specifically a, a, you know, a Christian argument. Right. They, they become self-evident and they align with this natural law. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Well, well put. So, you know, you talk a little bit about, um, you know, the uh, perversion of science. Um, You know, give me some examples, um, you know, from the book as to what you're seeing there in order for them to, to support the, you know, the narratives that are against the family. Well, I mean, one of the most obvious ways that we've seen recently that has blossomed in the last five years, and again, I have a a chapter on this in the book, is the issue of transgenderism. And again, this works to undo the family in multiple ways. First of all, it pits, it very often pits children against their parents. Often the narrative is your parents don't understand you. If they push back at all, they don't even love you. You should look for alternative parents. We have people online who are volunteering to act as a parent for some of these transgender children, which is just so concerning to me. So it, it breaks up already existing families. And then of course, there's the issue of if we uh, chemically castrate children and otherwise you know, remove their genitals and make it so that they can never have a family of their own, can never bear a child of their own before they're even capable of understanding what that means. We have done something catastrophic and and it is not supported by scientific arguments. The most persuasive argument, of course, that we hear is that if we don't affirm a transgender identity in a child, that they will uh, kill themselves, which of course, none of us want that. But it's a complete lie too. Yeah, the fact is, there is virtually no data supporting that point of view, virtually none. And in fact, there's Quite growing the data yeah. on the other side that that uh, even years later, suicidality is up, not down, even in, in places where transgenderism is openly accepted more widely. So it is it's not true. It's 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 convincing because it pulls at the heartstrings, but mm-hmm. it is not it's not founded in truth.
March Meatness is here, and you can win over $2,000 of free meat with Good Ranchers this month. No, you're not dreaming. This is a real thing. All you have to do is head to GoodRanchers.com slash March and sign up today. When the time comes, you fill out your March Meatness bracket, and if yours is the best, then you win free meat for a year from Good Ranchers. And their meat is 100% American, absolutely delicious, and steakhouse quality, so you want to win this. That's not where the month's madness ends, though. You can subscribe any day this month and get free bacon for a year added to your order. Pick the box of 100% American meat you want, get free bacon, and if your bracket wins, it'll be free for the next year. If you don't win, you still get 24 ounces of bacon free with every order, free shipping, and guaranteed 100% American meat delivered to your door. Sounds like a win-win to me. If you needed even more to push you over the edge, with my code BRYCE, you can get an additional $20 off your first order, a chance to win $2,000 of meat, free bacon, and $20 off. You need to head to GoodRanchers.com today. Sign up to fill your bracket, subscribe to claim free bacon, and use my code BRYCE for $20 off the best meat and seafood America has to offer today. Visit GoodRanchers.com slash March for your chance to win over $2,000 of delicious meat and seafood today and claim your free bacon as well. Visit GoodRanchers.com and use my code BRYCE at checkout. GoodRanchers.com. American meat delivered. Yeah, uh, amen. And and what they do, um, because it's you know it's such a new thing that they've embarked upon. It's such a new a new phenomenon right now with these kids, especially young girls that are being taken down um, this path. Uh, they will uh, share data from surveys of these young women that are a year into their treatments, and they're they're um, you know being. They're popular as a result of them. They're, you know, being recognized, you know, in their peer groups like they never have been before. And they'll uh-huh. interview them then and say, look, see, wow, now they're happy. Um, but they aren't doing the um, uh, follow up of that three, five, seven years later um, when all of the evidence is pointing to um, the deep, deep regret. And uh-huh. again, they have a loss of sexual function. They are unable to. Um, bear children in, in um, um, vast majority of these cases. They are now experiencing, you know, many, many uh, actual physical ailments as a result of puberty blockers or any of those sort of things that are going on. Um, but, you know, they're purposefully playing games with the, the data in order to, to push the agenda, which is an anti-family agenda. Um, just recently, uh, and I'm excited to see this, uh, Chloe Cole is suing Kaiser, um, and Harmeet Dillon has taken up that case, which I think is a wonderful blessing. Um, and I think that that's going to be the, the tip of the iceberg of folks, um, you know, going after these uh, mental health and uh, physicians and, uh, and all these practitioners that uh, that have uh, taken them down that path for for money, right? And we see we, because there is a, you know adjusted data which paints a rosy picture, which isn't in fact true. Then we see now we're seeing we're witnessing an avalanche of detransitioners who regret deeply what what they've done to their bodies. And we we as adults, adults are supposed to protect children. Yeah, children need protection, and and uh, the the teenage years are are turbulent for almost everyone. And we as adults and as a society need to be there to guide our children those, through those turbulent times, whether it's gender issues or, or whatever. And we to somehow take this very extreme position that the best way to help them without any virtually any other questions asked is to start surgically altering their bodies is just so unwise. I can barely even believe we're doing it. I can barely believe this is society we're living in. And and I hope the moment is not far off when even those on the other side wake up and say, what what have we done? Let's stop doing this. Yeah. And I I think that there will be people that wake up. I think it's going to be the middle that wakes up. I think it's going to be the the parents and the people that went along because they were told that this is the right thing to do. And and, hey, yeah, we just got to love people and all that. And there's a lot of people that are not very serious minded that in the middle get taken in Mm -hmm. with these things. But there is also some real 
depravity that's gone on and people that are completely given over to, you know, these evil ideologies. And, and I think that, I think that wickedness is, is pretty pervasive. Um, mm-hmm. but, well, um, but we need to pray, uh, and we need to, to pray for the repentance of these folks. We need to, um, uh, rescue these kids when the time comes, you know, the, we need to support these folks that are detransitioning. We need mm-hmm. to help them get the care that they need and all of that, because that, um, that destruction, um, and, and all that I think is just going to accelerate. Mm-hmm. So we're, we we right. need to be, we need to be there for them. Um, Let's let's talk about, you know, kind of your your uh, epilogue here and let's bring this home a little bit about what um, what we can do. Um, you know, I, I bum people out on this show a lot because we're talking about so many of these terrible problems and things that are infecting <laughs> us and, and we need to leave them with hope. So let's okay. uh, I, let's talk about that. I'm happy to leave with hope. I do have to mention one threat first so that okay. my answer will make sense. Amen. So one, okay, one of the things that, one of the ways that that uh, gender ideology, uh, along with um, other troubling sexual ideologies, one way that those are being spread is I've learned through my experience at the United Nations is through comprehensive sexuality education. Yeah. And I've seen that, that, that we all wonder, oh, where did this suddenly come from in our schools? Well, it hasn't been sudden. It's been a global push. And from my experience, it, I believe that it's anchored at the United Nations in partnership with International Planned Parenthood Federation, which produced the document that I talked about at the outset. Their, their agenda is overtly sexual. One of the things that I read in that edition, in that original document, it says sexuality and sexual pleasure are important parts of life for everyone, no matter what age, no matter if you're married or not, and no matter if you want to have children or not. And then it goes on to say governments have a responsibility to protect and fulfill all sexual rights for everyone. That's the agenda in their words. Yeah. I haven't changed it at all. And so their argument is that sex and sexual pleasure is a human right at all ages and stages of life. And why would they do Creepy. that? Why would they say that? And I've come to believe it's <clears throat> it's deeply anti-family because it strikes at the very heart of the family. If you if you get sex wrong, you've gotten the family wrong. If you start a child, it launch them into sexual activity with no thought of marriage, with no thought of long-term commitment, with no thought of the birth of a baby, none of this, you have you have thrown a bomb into the middle of the formation of a family, which should be a joyous thing that a man and woman embark on purposefully together. And so if you can convince the youngest generation that sex is their right, you have made a huge blow against the family because you blow it off you know, off balance from the very beginning. And then abortion is on the table and, and yeah. uh, sexual confusion is on the table, all these things. So the push for CSE or comprehensive sexuality education is humongous and well-funded and it's rolling forward from the United Nations. And I talk about that, I explain it all in the book. So one of the main things that we need to do and that we can do. Can, can I, can I pause you for a second? Because yes. what hit yes, me sir. in that statement was it's their job to fulfill Mm-hmm. That that um, uh, is is a very unsettling and creepy statement that the government uh, the government's job is not to fulfill our sexual needs or uh, you know not I mean that that's a yeah that's bizarre wor- wording to me. It was to me too, but it's it's I've seen now that that is pervasive everywhere. Like all the people at the highest levels in these organizations, that's what they openly say. And that's what they believe. And they've, to a large degree, been successful in convincing many governments of the world that that is their job, to protect everyone's sexual rights so that they can experience sexual pleasure at all ages. And why are they especially interested in children? Because if you affect a children in the earliest years of their lives, first of all, you've got a client for a life mm-hmm. if you're International Planned Parent Federation. And also, if you are anti-family and seeking for you know, a socialist utopia, you uh, turn people against the family really from the very beginning before they even know it. So it is yeah. creepy. It is creepy language and it's a destructive ideology. Yeah. They're weirdos. We got to get, uh, we got to <laughs> defeat the weirdos. Okay. So what can we do? Should you want me to go to that? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So first of all, people can go to stop 
stopcomprehensivesexuality.org. That stands for stopcomprehensivesexualityeducation.org. There's a there's a documentary there that you really should watch. Make sure your kids are not around. There's a 10-minute version and the 35-minute version. If you really want to see what this agenda is about, watch the video. And then if it makes you angry, which it will, then go to the other resources on that page, click on your state, see what you can do to fight it in your state. If you want to see more examples of the curriculum, it's all on there. It's a fantastic resource for parents, not only to understand what we're up against, but then give you a kind of a community to connect to and resources, because this will come up. Comprehensive sexuality education will come up in your state legislatures. It will come up at your school district, and you need to know what it is, and then you need to stand up against it. And it works best if you have examples to do that. My book, I've taken my book to testify on Capitol Hill because it has examples right in it. But stopcse.org is also a great, a great resource. We need to get sexual rights activists, particularly in Planned Parenthood, out of our schools. Why are we allowing them to be there? And as you said at the outset, the, the goal now is to uh, attach medical centers to our schools, which is part of it. We won't have time to go into this, but it's part of the whole child, whole school model. Yeah. Whole community, whole school, whole child model. And part of that is providing for the uh, medical needs of children. And Planned Parenthood is more than happy to be the ones that are going to provide care for your children. And we can, what kind of care are they going to provide? Obviously reproductive, so-called reproductive care and abortion and all these other things. Um, so we need to get them out of schools. We have to be vigilant at, at doing that. Um, but at, at a deeper level, we do need to work legislatively. We do need to work at the school district level. But surprise, our homes are the most important battleground. Amen. So we need to be teaching our kids regularly what we believe about sex, gender, marriage, and the family. And we need to be consistent about it. We need to talk about it in relation to, to current events. We need to discuss at an age appropriate and sensitive level with our children so that they understand what we believe is right, what we believe is correct, not what's politically correct, but what is actually correct. And we need to be intentional about that. And one of the key things we need to teach our children is chastity, because that is a great protector of women, children, and men. And if you look deep enough, that is the root of so many of our social problems today. And and I, when I say teach our children about sex and the family, I don't mean just the mechanics of sex. I mean, teach our children what it means to create life, Amen. to value, to value the creation of human life, which happens through sex. That's not something that can be taken or that should be taken lightly. Someone's life hangs in the balance. Perhaps multiple people's lives hang in the balance. And so we, and, and our children are not gonna get an, a, a chastity message almost from anywhere except for us. So we need to make sure that we're providing it, obviously living it in our own lives and then teaching them about it. And I really feel like we will win some public battles and, but if we're not winning at home, we don't win at all. We have to win at home. And again, that's not to say our children will, will always make perfect choices, but we can and we must fortify them against all the mess other messages they're hearing. They're hearing motherhood doesn't matter. Sex is for everyone. It's your human right. You know, on and on. The list goes on. We, we need to provide in, our, provide in our homes, and we can, the alternate message, the true message in ways that are powerful and sensitive and that our children can hold on to in basically the raging storm that that is that's going on around them. Yeah, no, that's that's terrific. And I, I, you know, I would add, get your kids out of these public schools and and in even many private schools. You know, they're failing us. Um, you cannot. Uh, you're putting them in in public schools is like uh, trying to build healthy lungs in a smoke filled room. <laughs> they are going to be permeated. Um, and and you are uh, they are working against you, uh, you know, so uh, desperately that even the, you know, strongest of kids and the strongest of families is going to have a rough mm -hmm. time not allowing some of these ideas and, and some of these just, you know, permissive, um, you know, sexual uh, ideas and, and the perversion and things that are just in and around them. Uh, I mean, it's 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 such a desperate situation these days. It's not like. Mm -hmm. When we were growing up, it's uh, it is so far from that, and I think mm -hmm. parents still think it's similar to what it was, you know, thirty uh, years ago, and it's just not. So it's just, you got to do just it. It's just not. 
And, yeah. and one other thing too, I mean, so many parents are anxious to give their kids phones, you know, for yeah. various reasons. Maybe the, maybe the argument is safety. Maybe it's fitting in with the crowd. Maybe it's other, you know, other things. But if we hand our child a, the world on a phone, it doesn't really matter if we win in the schools. If we've got sex out of our schools and all these, if we were successful at all those campaigns and we hand our child a fully internet enabled phone anyway yeah. with unfettered access, we still lose the war because our children will be accessed through that. And yeah. they're honestly You're putting not a predator enough. in their pocket. You're putting a predator in their pocket. So we have to stand against the tide on that one and be the, be the strange parents who don't give the phone phone. You know, we, if we want to protect our kids, we have to think seriously about that decision. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. I, I gave one phone to my girls. We didn't have a house phone and, uh, it had very, very limited capabilities and they had to share it. And, mm -hmm. uh, and that, that, um, you know, created some natural barriers there. And, and, uh, <laughs> that's a good dad, a good dad. Yeah. yeah we were all <laughs> over them all the time. Um, you know, we were making sure that uh, that that phone was, you know, left where it should be and, you know, was was used appropriately. And I think, you know, we're enjoying the fruits of that. Um, you know, my my girls Absolutely. do not have social media are not addicted to it. Of course, they're aware of it all. Um, but they, they have by choice now at this point in their, um, mm -hmm. you know, uh, 19, 18 and 14. At this point, they're uninterested in going down that path and they see the kids around them that are addicted to those things. And they're just not interested. And, and, you know, we were able to, to, you know, get them to be strong early enough um, and not have see, those, those habits developed. So you were wise and you took action and, and I think it works best. And I assume what you did was talk to your children about why you were doing these things. We Amen. don't just make, make blanket rules and seem like we're mean parents. We explain and talk to our kids about why, what the dangers yeah. are, what the risks, what, you know, what we're trying to protect them from to a certain degree. And uh, like you said, um, which has been the case with most of my children too. They now choose not to engage yeah. a great deal on social media because they see that that's not what life is about. It's much more rich and much more full. And you live your real life. Don't live someone else's fake life through the phone. Yeah. So um, how can people order your book? Um, you know, give us uh, how we can follow you okay. and all that stuff. And I really enjoyed oh, this okay. this conversation. So thank you. Thank you. And I appreciate that. My my website is invinciblefamily.com. Um, there's I'm going to be adding some more parent resources to that soon, but that's that's the hub where the book is. The easiest place to find the book is just on Amazon. It's The Invincible Family on Amazon. And then, of course, I would love it if people would follow me on Twitter. And it's just my name at Kimberly Ells. Yeah. Well, listen, thank you, Kimberly. I really appreciate your time. This is wonderful. Um, I, I do look forward to, to reading the book, uh, and I will, um, just in thumbing through it. Um, it's it's uh, really full of, of information, and you make some amazing arguments in here, and I, I think it's very well written, um, just what I've seen so far. So I look forward to digesting it and, uh, and passing it around and you know, getting you. getting some uh, some copies uh, off to, to friends and people I think who need it. So thank you again thank, for coming on. I appreciate you. it. Thank All right. you so much. All right. Take care. Take care. All right. And we're out.